Welcome to Value in Open, a podcast by Miley Search about how to do open source as a living. My name is Alan, and I will be your host. Today, I'm speaking with Mats Alm and Jan Kjellman. They are brothers, and together they have created a company around EP+, which is a spreadsheets library for the .NET ecosystem. EP Plus started out as a regular open source library using the LGPL license. But Mats and Jan ran into a classic problem in open source. They made something so popular that it became unsustainable for them to keep developing it as a trivial side project. Faced with the options of either leaving the project or going all in, they chose the latter. But the way in which they achieved sustainability is quite unconventional by current day standards. They didn't have a product that they could naturally build a commercial service offering around. And their product was so easy to use that there was no point trying to charge for support. The path of least resistance for them was to put a price tag on their code. No fancy workarounds. Just write code and sell it using the Polyform non-commercial license which you can read more about in the show notes. Current day open source licenses are code first, developer distant second. They do not take the developer's well-being into account. Standard open source licenses don't try to set the developer up for success. Their only concern is ease of adoption for the code at any cost. I'm speaking here as someone whose personal idea of a license utopia is a world where the vast majority of software exists under MIT-style permissive licenses. That's the end game I wish for. But I firmly believe that getting there will require a mix of licenses that challenge and expand our idea of openness. Open source has an exploitation problem. The largest companies in the world have figured out how to extract massive amounts of value from open source creators without contributing a fair share back. For non-commercial users, Polyform non-commercial functions much like any other open source license. Source code is available and it can be modified and redistributed. Only for commercial users do the rules change. Only the people who are using EP Plus to make more money have to pay for it. There is a beautiful simplicity to that. Is this license the solution to all our problems? Not at all. Will it fit every open source project? Nope. Is it a good fit for EP Plus? Well, with enough income to pay for two full-time developers, I would call it a raging success. Please keep an open mind and enjoy the episode. Off we go. Mats and Jan of uh, EP Plus. Thank you very much for uh, joining me on Value in Open. Could you just tell me a little bit just about what EP Plus is, what it does? Sure, I can start. I, I founded uh, the EP Plus project uh, 10 years ago. I just went and looked into the Git history. I did my first commit in November in 2009. So it's a pretty mature project when we uh, moved this project into uh, uh, our commercial company that we, we have now, EP Plus Software. 
And later on, Mats joined me. Uh, Mats is my brother. Uh, he joined me a year after I started the product. Um, and uh, well, we've been running it as a open source project uh, until uh, uh, this year, uh, actually. To give you a little yeah. background. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe we should just mention that it's uh, it's a .NET library used for working with Excel spreadsheets. Yeah, other sp- spreadsheets as well, but it's it's uh, built on the uh, Office Open XML standard. So it's a .NET API for spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. To describe it shortly. Yeah. So this is the thing that. It's sort of in, in a, a sort of niche, but it's a pretty big niche since it's the in the the Windows ecosystem of applications, right? So a lot of you you have strictly Windows users, but there's quite a lot of them, as I understand. Yeah, it's not strictly Windows users. We apply both the .NET and .NET Core uh, uh-huh. platform, so it can be used on Linux and. Uh, okay. Other platforms as well as as well as Mac, if you if you want that with .NET Core. Okay, so yeah, these days you are well on your way to being fully sustainable, sustaining yourselves with this project of yours. So we're gonna try go through that path a bit of, of how you ended up where you are now. So I understand that you you both started sort of getting your first steps with with tech on a, a Commodore sixty four. You, your brothers. So did you share uh, time with the, your your first computer quite equally, or or was there some tension there? <laughs> we we actually had some tension. Uh, uh... When we started to uh, uh, with our Commodore 64, we uh, we hadn't any games. So uh, basically, what we had was the basic uh, uh, basic language that they started up with. So we started to to program uh, quite directly when we got the computer, as we didn't have anything else to do with it. So we had to to share it in front of the uh, TV in the living room. So we had a couple of uh, fights uh, about uh, who's uh, gonna use it or or not. So, uh, Mats, maybe you can uh, give me your view on. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm the older brother, so I guess I had more time in front of the. <laughs> screen but uh, I think uh, Jan you were the one who really picked it up and then never did anything else basically than, than the programming and you also went on to assembler and, and stuff which I which I didn't but we wrote a terrible lot of basic programs early on so I think that's when we got the, the feeling for it mm. and I... then we saved those programs on tapes so it was really very different from today yeah that's kind of nice too you you get the feel of the the thing that you yeah. put together i i, I yeah, kind of yeah. wish like i i i'm a little sore that that i get, didn't get to experience basic myself i i keep hearing more and more about it, it almost sounds like I, I would have gone down more of a programmer path if i was exposed to to basic but that i kind of faded out a bit again by the time I was getting into computers. And, and like you said, I had games. So that's, that's what <laughs> I <laughs> ended up using a computer for. 
Yeah, you were much closer to the hardware at that time as well. I mean, uh, you have like 64K of memory in the 64, so uh, you have to really go down to the hardware to to understand how things work. So I think that's a good start for a programmer. So you, from there, you kind of went straight into working with the tech and programming, but Mats, your path was was a little bit more diverse in that you, you didn't get straight into working with computers. Is that right? That's uh, absolutely correct. I, I had a more uh, a strange path back to it. So I started to work with the leisure travel and I worked as a tour guide for a few years. Came back, started to work with printed matters and uh, advertisements and things like that. And uh, then I saw how well Jan did. The, you know, that was the time in the 90s when you know, it started to be a hype around working with IT. So I remembered how f- much fun we had when we were programming them back in the day. So I, I started the computer science uh, education at the university in Stockholm, 98, I think. Two years. And then I, w- I came back to, to leisure travel and actually built one of the first online bookings in the late 90s. That was my first professional job as a programmer then. So, yeah, but that was 20 years ago. And then, then mm-hmm. I've been a developer and then later an architect up until now. Yeah. And 10 years ago, when EP Plus started, strictly as a side project then, what were you both doing at the time uh, for work? Well, I, I started EP Plus when I worked for one of the Sweden's largest uh, investment managements. So we had a lot of Excel users uh, and we had a couple of internal systems uh, that we needed uh, to move data to to Excel. So uh, then I found this uh, one guy that had started a product called Excel Package. So, But he, has, he did one commit and then he, he left the product. So I started to to develop from there and contacted him and asked him if he was uh, interested in the stuff that I had done, but uh, he didn't uh, want to continue with it. So I decided to fork it. So that's why it's called EP Plus. It's Excel Package Plus. And then I had my boss. He was very passionate about open source. So I decided uh, that I continue with it. And I, I thought it was fun. So, you know, we started to to build more and more functionality into to the library uh, uh, spend a lot of my spare time on uh, improving the the library as well as some time uh, where i worked Uh, so you got to spend work hours on eb plus as a project yes yes Uh, my my boss was uh, very passionate about open source and he thought it was uh, a good thing for for a for the, the company that I work for, that uh, we contributed a lot, uh, not yeah. n- not that much, but I did most of the work uh, basically on my spare time. But my employer could benefit from <laughs> the work that uh-huh. I did so for free. On, uh, uh, but, but of course, they let me me do uh, yeah. some work uh, that benefited the, uh, the business. Of course, that's yeah. the main purpose of it. 
And was this your first exposure really to open source? Yeah, it was my first public commit that I uh, ever made was uh, this product. So, uh, and yeah, that's basically the only product that I have committed to as well. But after a while, I mean, uh, I spent like five, the first five or six years was uh, we were very productive and uh, building a lot of uh, new functionality into the library. But uh, in the, after maybe, six or seven years uh, i mean this product had grown so big so and i mean you have to spend more and more time on uh, answering questions i i it, it was not enough time to to maintain it in a great way if you we, yeah. we tried the best we could but we just couldn't find all the time that we needed to to answer all the quest questions uh, and issues uh, that uh, arrived on on github uh, by the way we, we started up on uh, uh, codeplex in 2009 when before the github era so yeah. then we moved on to to github after basically when they announced that they were gonna close down codeplex and how quick was that rise to popularity where you you started out just basically scratching an itch and suddenly you were responding to to a lot of people needing more of well uh, how, it how was quick? actually i'm not sure but but it got quite uh, i mean you know the first months uh, you were glad if you had one or two downloads oh, yeah. on on codeplex and uh, then you had uh, an increase of the uh, number of downloads and uh, after maybe two or three years we had like I don't know, maybe a couple of hundred downloads a week. And then it increased to, until now when we have something like a million downloads a week uh, per month, I think. Yeah. So uh, it's been a basically a steady uh, number of uh, downloads increasing uh, every year. But I think somewhere around 13, 14, perhaps it became the the most downloaded Excel Mm. Uh, library on Nougat. So it has been, as you said, it, it was growing and then suddenly it just uh, exploded and uh, we counted the downloads in millions instead of, like you said, thousands or whatever yeah. we did before. And that's, of course, very inspiring. Yes, absolutely. It, it, it's, uh, it's, I think a lot of open source developers can relate to this feeling of kind of this mix of excitement and also being a little bit terrified when you start off no. just being happy that anyone is using your project and then suddenly people are very heavily relying on your project to do their work. And yeah, the responsibility and the feelings around that can, can shift quite heavily. What was the, the kind of management like of, of this open source project that you suddenly had on your hands that was increasing in scale? Did you get a lot of guidance from your boss or, or someone else about this is what you do when when your project grows and people are coming to yeah, it no basically my boss he, he was just he, he thought it was fun that i i started this open source project but he didn't interfere or even he wasn't involved in in the project at all so basically i run it on my own until i got matt's uh uh, on board on the project and we had a few people that we had uh, involved in the project but uh, what we learned in the beginning was that uh, a lot of people 
they contribute maybe a simple pull request or they contact me and wanted to be join the team on on Codeplex and uh, once you had added them to the project, you never heard anything from them again because I think they just wanted to to have that in their uh, CV. Um, so, but we had one guy from uh, Brazil that really helped us out, and he, he wrote the whole conditional formatting uh, part of EP Plus. But otherwise, we we tried to to create a team, and uh, but. Uh, it's it's hard. I really didn't have the time to to uh, add people that wasn't uh, that couldn't on their own. So I mean, I, I had full time work uh, to to manage, uh, and then I did a lot of the work on EP Plus on my spare time. So it was really not uh, the time to to have a lot of create a, a big team around EP Plus. So this uh, has mainly been uh, me and Mats. Uh, uh, that uh, has worked on the projects yeah. with, and we have of course uh, brought in a lot of pull requests and and uh, things like that. Yeah. So about two years ago, the the stars kind of aligned, and both of you <coughs> were were leaving your work. And at this point, you decided to commit more fully to EB Plus. What what did that initial commitment looked like what were you what was your first plan of how to make this into a, a full-time thing well uh, as as you say we we both we quit jobs and we didn't actually have any that much time to work with the product at the same time the product was growing mm-hmm. more and more every year and uh, i mean uh, we really when we thought about it our two options was either we we just leave the product and do nothing with it, or we have to make some some kind of business model around it. And we talked a lot about it. We tried to get input from uh, other uh, players, but but yeah, maybe Mats, you can uh, add a little bit uh, about how the discussions were. Yes. So, I mean, like John said, we were both in a situation where we left the jobs that we had had for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we have talked about this for a long time that, I mean, obviously we like to program and we, we really enjoy to, to build EP+. Yeah. But the, the challenge has been for us that everything is something we had to do on our spare times. And I mean, we have families, we have children, we have... Uh, houses, you know, all the stuff, and very little time. So we have more been talking like, you know, when we had a beer together or something, we should do something. But when uh, kind of you said the stars aligned and we were both kind of yeah, we're looking for the next challenge, we kind of f- felt that, okay, it's now or never. And then we didn't have a clear idea on how to do something with it and there wasn't really any template for doing this so we had this massive project with a lot of downloads we had uh, we didn't even know our potential customers so we started to look for other examples on companies who done a similar thing or or projects the we found this iText 
which is a PDF library, I think 10 years ago, founded by Bruno Lovaggi. I think that was the correct pronunciation. So we reached out to him. And he was very responsive and uh, told us how, how he did it. So we decided then, when we decided to do it, we, we were kind of starting to look into what kind of license model we would have, a, what, what kind of business model. And then, of course, how we could uh, do something commercially, but still keep as much as possible of the open source concept. Yeah. So that was the start of it. And then it has been a lot of work to take it to where it is today. That has been a quite amazing journey, actually. It has been very exciting. <laughs> I think it's one year where I work with this now. Yeah. Yeah. And iText, that was using this sort of dual license model, right? Where it's LGPL, yes. but they sell essentially an exception to that for those who want to use it in a context where the LGPL doesn't really allow it. And you, you considered this model, but, but you never put it into practice? Yeah, we, we, we looked at AGPL. It allows people to, to use it unless they distribute it over a network. They have yeah. to, to distribute their own source code as well. But when we considered this, we Excel spreadsheet is often used internally on, on, a, yeah. on a company. So we ended up with uh, that most people could use uh, still use it uh, for free. And we thought uh, it would be a lot more, uh, what should you say? But, but uh, we think it's, uh, it's more fair if commercial players uh, are required to, to pay for, for the license rather than the people if they use it internally on the com- or if they use it on the internet. So we thought it was yeah. a better community license to have a license that restricts commercial use and then you do a dual license model for 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 ep plus yeah so over the past year or two until you arrived at your current day solution which seems to be working really well how are you sustaining yourselves during that time, were you just working on the side? Did you have any sort of income at all from eBay Plus until your recent licensing change? No, yeah, or yes, we had. So what we we are self-funded. So what we did, we both worked as consultants mm-hmm. in Stockholm. So we started to work from this company. And then for a while, we worked with customers and uh, started quite uh, a bit on our uh, spare time to set up the company and then after a while i continued and john moved over to to work with the ep plus i think from january you have been working full time and then we gradually reduce our work as consultants and move over to to, to working just with the, based on the license sales so to speak mm-hmm. yeah. so it was a soft uh, transition so to speak I see. Yeah, so let's let's get into that license change, which is very interesting. You also mentioned that you got a lot of good advice from someone by the name of Carl Gleisner. Is that right? Yes, that's right. That's our legal advice. Yeah, so, so you sought out legal advice and he is the one that turned you on to the, the Polyform license and what they were doing? 
Yeah, that's correct. He, we, we, we had a lot of discussions with him. So and we, we were kind of explaining how we would like it to, to work. So we agreed that uh, AGPL would not suit us perfectly. So we were, I think, initially considering if we would draft our own license for, for mm-hmm. this or something. But uh, can you say real quick, just uh, lay out, how, how would you like it to work? What was the, the rough picture of this is what we wanted to look like? Yeah, so I think I could, we, we could say that we, we wanted it to be free for non-commercial purposes. So yeah. kind of exactly as the license states it, like uh, universities, public health care, research, all of that personal use. That's, we don't want to limit that by applying a cost. Yeah. We think that's good for, for the project as well. And then we wanted, obviously, we need some income to make this sustainable and we thought that that was the most fair thing is to then take that cost from uh, commercial users so so it was uh, a good match he i don't know he he's very much specialized in open source and and legal stuff so so we were lucky to 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 find him yeah uh, and he came up with this advice and uh described it to us. And, and when we started to build the business model, we saw that this license fits us very well. Mm. How did you find him? <laughs> yeah, we found him the, the Bruno, the, the iText. He advised uh-huh. us to another lawyer that was stated in Belgium. And we thought, and he as well, that it's probably good to have a legal advisor from the country that we are going to sell from. So he had a yeah. network we, I think the GPL lawyers have some sort of network, so he, he connected there. So uh, we connected with Card that way. That's great. I, I think if you put open source lawyer into Google, the results are, are still not that great. So uh, no. <laughs> yeah, you, you were lucky there. Yeah. All right. So following this advice, you, you found this license uh, that's called the, the Polyform Non-Commercial License. Uh, I should also put in a quick disclaimer there that one of the, the co-writers uh, of that license is a former colleague of mine, Kyle Mitchell. So I'm obviously also a fan of his work. So you, you settled on this license, but now you had to make the step of actually switching to that license. So what did the initial work look like of contacting the contributors you had had and, and asking them to agree to a license switch. Yes, actually, we had to, we got this advice uh, or what we should have to do so, uh, from uh, Bruno as well. So w- what we started with was to do IP review of the entire source code, basically, and uh, look at all the contributors to the project that uh, had contributed more than 20 rolls of significant code. So that was uh, a work we started uh, about a year ago. And we tried, we, we contacted all the people that we had mail addresses uh, to. And I think I'm not sure how many people were on the list, but about uh, 30 people that had contributed more than a significant amount of, of code. So we sent out mails to, to uh, all of them. Uh, most of them uh, responded, and most of them were positive to the to the license change and uh, agreed to to let us include it into our uh, 
IP. And for all the people that we couldn't find, we had to remove their code and rewrite it. So that was quite big work, uh, yeah. several months to, to uh, review all this. Uh, and But uh, yeah, uh, we finally had cleaned uh, our code for, uh, I wouldn't say clean, but but it's hard when, when you can't get hold of people you, you have to remove their their uh, code so yeah. uh, it will be uh, legally ours but yeah, yeah do you want to add anything well, well, yeah that was it, it was a larger job than we thought initially because it's also difficult mm-hmm. to kind of uh, keep the functionality but you need to explicitly remove a specific number of lines of code yeah we we tried a, a lot of different things there i think i remember one instance john removed the code we kept the unit tests and i had to re-implement it uh, again things like that but uh, yeah yeah i think that was the almost almost as big job as setting up the sales platform and everything else that we have yeah, I can just say that this was the first time that we got exposed to see how people would react to the license change. And I would say that yeah. all, almost all of them were positive. Before we get into more of that, I'm curious just what the message was like that you sent out to people. What was the, the general story that you told people about this is what's been going on and this is why we're making this change? Well, the main uh, way for us to communicate this is uh, actually via in the new version of EP+, when you download it, if you haven't seen the, the readme file and the git repo and everything else where we try to, to communicate it, then you will get an exception with a, a link to a page. And on that link, we have uh, written I mean, an explanation of why we're doing mm-hmm. this and the stories, of course, that we... Uh, it has grown too large for us to do this on our spare time. Uh, therefore, mm-hmm. we really want to to be able to make EP Plus better. I mean, we had, uh, in the end, we had, I think, how many issues did we have open on the the, the previous version? I don't know, but way too many. 400, uh, 500. Yeah, uh, and we had like... Uh, 70 uh, pull requests as well that was just uh, waiting for us to to merge it but we got some reactions that uh, well when we announced it on, on github that we we're gonna uh, close down the the old uh, repo okay this was before the more public announcements that you did on your website yeah this this yeah before we we announced it before we we went live uh, yeah maybe a week before we went live with our uh, website okay. but people were saying that can't you just merge in all the pull requests but simple answer to that is if we merged in all the pull requests that the library will probably stop uh, working because yeah. uh, merging pull requests is often how it's verifying that it works and when you have merged the pull request you are responsible as a uh, uh, coordinator for uh, that it works forever. <laughs> I 
And yeah. so if you just uh, bring in a pull request, I've done that several times. And then like uh, several weeks later, you, you get uh, issues on something else that, uh, I mean, it's a complex library. It's extremely easy to do something that affects something else in the library. Yeah. And so that was a simple answer. We, we cannot uh, just bring in pull requests without verifying the, the quality of the pull requests. Uh, yeah. And also we have uh, like, I don't know how many issues we had, but uh, like 400 and it's every issue is, I mean, you, you have to uh, go through it. Sometimes it's a very easy fix, but uh, many times you have to put several hours into it. And I mean, yeah. you, you can't continue doing that on your spare time when the product grows to this no. size. Yeah. <laughs> so when you went, fully public with it on your website and you started incorporating this message about the license transition in, in all of your documentation. I'm sure you got a lot of feedback from also then your, your whole user base and some of it was good. Some of it was, was bad. Let's start with the, the bad parts. Like what was, was there kind of a, a recurring message that you got when it came to the, the negative feedback that you heard from people, especially from the users who felt that this transition away from strictly open source uh, wasn't okay? I mean, of course, we have, we, have to, we have to select a model for this, and we have tried to, to keep it as permissive as possible. But you have, for example, people who has used EP Plus commercially and also yeah. recommended their customers to use EP Plus. The, I mean, they can, of course, not without both their customers and themselves purchase, purchasing licenses, uh, they cannot continue to use this version 5 unless they want to pay for it. And obviously, a few people don't want to, to do that. So it could be one thing. I think... Uh, there could be things like it leaves a bad taste when you see open source maintainers wanting to make money on their project. Right. Yeah, uh, it could be things like uh, it's too expensive. Yeah, but but about not so much about the moral things like this should okay. be free or anything like that. I, I actually think that we have had more understanding than critique i think it has been a lot less negative uh, feedback than i thought when we went out with this i think a yeah. lot of people probably understand that well you you can't provide this for free and work uh, evenings and uh, weekends for commercial players so so i yeah. I, I think it's a lot of understanding out there that uh, uh, moving into some sort of business model. Uh, yeah. But we also had some positive feedback as well. We uh, had something that someone that uh, told us that uh, you should have done this uh, long ago. So, yeah. But <laughs> we haven't been uh, out on uh, all uh, web pages out there. So, we I'm not aware of all the uh, negative feedback, of course. So. <laughs> No, nor, nor should you be. Uh, the internet can provide an endless amount of negative feedback if you go looking. So, yeah. But one, one thing that we have uh, also been trying to kind of mitigate this is that we have left uh, version 4 
it's I mean that one is still yeah. under LGPL and we haven't removed that one. It remains in its GitHub repo, so that right. code is still there. Mm-hmm. It can be forked. It can be used. You can still install it from Nougat, but it comes as is, so to speak. Yeah. So, so where we are working now with improving and implementing new features and things like that, it's in the, in version 5, which comes under the new license. So uh, I guess that a lot of people can stay on version 4 and then they can move over to, to version 5 later. Yeah. So, yeah. so that was also something we did quite clear, not just to try to take it away or something like that. Yeah, that's a good point. The, the open source code, that's still there. It's just the, this new code that is being added and, and for the purpose of the two of you actually being able to do it full time is yes. uh, on a different track. Exactly. Let's get into the, the really exciting part of this then, which is you've started, is it how, how, how long ago now since you started selling licenses uh, for the software? I think we started in, I think we launched the beta version of EP Plus 5 late January or early February. 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 February, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, to be able to sell it, we, we actually built our own sales platform so mm-hmm. we could really adjust the business model as we wanted it to be. So we launched all of that and the beta version in February. And then I think one month later, we launched the first major version of it for yeah. the, the production. Did uh, you do any sort of marketing or did you kind of already have this, this network of people that you could easily reach out to and just say, here's the new version and that's really all you needed to do? Well, I think our main platform is our Nougat feed. So people, when they download the new version, we released uh, uh, version 5 on the same Nougat platform. So when people upgrade, they can see the the license change. What we did is that you need to, once you install uh, version 5 of EP+, you have to set the license context in, in the, in the uh, accessing the library. library. So uh, you have to set if you're using commercial or non-commercial. If you don't set the license context, you will get an exception. So you can't use it without setting the the license context. And then we had a a link to our web page where we communicated the the license change. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, a lot of people, uh, most people come, come via the license exception page. And it sounds like it has worked really quite well, like uh, one and a half of you, I think, uh, so far uh, is able to uh, to work strictly on uh, EP+. Is that right? Yes, definitely. And uh, as the sales has been now the first three months, we could easily work both of us on full time. Mm. So it's more a transition for, for me. And... Uh, uh, but it, it it's a different it, it's an exciting experience to to move into this world of commercial software because that's very different to open source. It's kind of a mixture mm. of two worlds because I mean, yeah. on the other side you have you have to participate in uh, purchase processes. You have resellers, things like that, and then you have the open source piece that you still want to kind of incorporate in in all of in all of this. 
Yeah. Uh, so, so we have learned a lot during these three months, and we continue to learn. And we're also constantly trying to adjust our our model if if needed. So it's really important for us to to kind of see what works and what doesn't work now in the beginning. Yeah. Did the the corona epidemic impact you in any significant uh, way? It's hard to say because, I mean, we basically, we launched the first uh, real version of the library, I think, on the 13th of March. So it was basically yeah. on the same day as the corona breakout. So it felt like, okay, we, we started a company and we're taking it live now at the worst possible time. Yeah. But no, it, it has worked. It's hard to say. I mean, obviously, yeah. it fits us quite good to work from home as we do. I mean, we're self-isolating here in Sweden as well. Mm. So it's hard to say uh, what it yeah. would have looked like if Corona hadn't been. But, but I mean, so, the Corona probably affects all companies in the world. So I, I say yeah. it has affected us, but maybe we can give you an answer in a year or so. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to uh, Yeah, do a, do a check-in. Okay. Um, I think just just one last question, and, and I'll give you some uh, time to to think it over uh, while I give my version of it. So what I want to know is, is there a closed app or service out there that you would like to see go source available? So in my case, an example I can give is that recently I've been doing uh, this whole podcasting thing, and I've been noticing the the podcast hosting business Everything there is very much the same. It's kind of all figured out already. A lot of them, I'm sure, are just building on top of WordPress and already open source tools. Uh, and so I would really love to have more of these platforms already just be open so that I, I would have fewer concerns about lock-in and also even just having more opportunity to yeah, contribute directly to these services that I'm already using. So I'm curious with you, do you have any examples like that of products you're using in your day-to-day -day life that uh, you think, hey, this would actually be a, a better product if it uh, opened up a little bit more? Well, the obvious answer to that is, of course, Excel, but uh, <laughs> I think yeah, it will that's, that's uh, a good take one. quite a yeah. lot. Uh... Well, you know, Microsoft is moving the needle on open source uh, quite a lot these days. <laughs> yeah. They've definitely changed But Excel is probably the, the last, uh, <laughs> the last yeah. uh, software they will open source. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> but that would uh, probably help us a lot. But I think uh, after we've been working with open source for uh, over 10 years, I would say most companies would benefit from having their source open because I think that increased the quality because it's very transparent. It's you have a lot of people that look at the code and it also makes you probably think a little bit more before you publish the code if you know that uh, everyone can see it. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think uh, even free software has has there are models where, where that can work as well i've been working when i've been working as head of architecture and uh, cto and those kind of jobs i have tried to kind of encourage that uh, companies share their code as open source because i think as john said that uh, increases the quality it makes you more proud of the code and things like that so it's difficult yeah. to say any specific app uh, but 
Excel because I mean that's what we have been doing here. It's kind of trying to figure out how does it work under the hood and then try to do that. It would have been great if it would have been yeah. open sourced or at least parts of a lot it. less less reverse engineering on your part. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, this has been great. Thank you very much, Mats and Jan, for yeah. uh, participating. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. All right. And uh, best of luck uh, onwards. I hope we can do that uh, check-in in about a year. Hopefully uh, the world looks a bit different then. Let's catch up in a year. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you very much. Value in Open is produced by Miley Search. All music is created by Jakob Tadjesund Rypdal. If you want to talk to me about how to make a living off of your open source activities, please get in touch. Stay open.